Well, it is so good to be here with all of you this morning, uh, Easter morning, and thank you for coming. We are, uh, we are truly blessed. We are truly blessed because uh, we are here to worship the King of Kings who is alive, and I hope that we can look at that in a meaningful way here for the next few minutes this morning. I try to plan out my preaching schedule at least a couple of months ahead. I think it's good for us to know who's preaching what. Uh, it's not written in stone, but I try to stick to it as much as I possibly can. So John 20, 1 through 10 is the passage that I planned for this morning. Those of you who are visiting with us, we have been working our way through the book of John, and I'll confess that I may have uh, worked things a little uh, to make sure that we got here today. We were almost going to end up on the crucifixion today, but I had, to, I had to do a couple of things, and we got here. We got here to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So earlier this week, I started reading the passage kind of in earnest, and something huge jumped out at me. I thought I'd made a huge mistake. So I started contemplating, well, maybe I need to expand this to the next chapter. Let me read the passage, and I'll see if you notice what I noticed that was my problem. This is uh, John 20, 1 through 10. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not where, know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes laying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This was my problem. Jesus does not appear in these 10 verses. His name appears, but the main character is entirely absent from this account. And I'm serious. I was thinking to myself, I got to redo everything. How can I possibly preach this passage on Resurrection Sunday if the resurrected Lord Jesus doesn't appear in the passage? And then I noticed John 20, verse 8. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Who is that other disciple? Well, in this gospel we've talked about, John never mentions his own name. He consistently refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, or else, in this case, the other disciple. And what we have here is John's statement of faith. I saw the empty tomb, and I believed. And so I think the fact that Jesus doesn't appear in this passage is the point of the passage. The tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. And so we're going to look at John's account this morning, and John's account only. Uh, I want you to see that the point of these 10 verses is that Jesus isn't there. And this is very relevant to every single one of us in this room this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are here this morning, none of us have seen Jesus. We've read about him. We've heard the testimony of others about him. 
But we have never seen our Lord as he exists right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. Let me give you a quick glance forward to my conclusion, and then I'll jump into the passage. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says this. Listen, this is such an encouragement. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's us. We don't see him, but we love him. And like John, this Sunday morning, we believe and we rejoice. And brothers and sisters, I want you, as a result of the things we see in this passage, to be able to see that this empty tomb leads to inexpressible joy. So let's jump into John's eyewitness account of that Sunday morning. One of the criticisms that often gets leveled at the accounts of the resurrection is that there seem to be some glaring differences. Some have one angel. Some have two angels. John has no angels. Let me say a couple of things about that first. First of all, number one, I think this is very important. I would contend, along with many others, that this is evidence of truth and not error. Every now and then you'll see one of those videos going around where like, you know, a whole bunch of news anchors will like use the same words to report on something, like the exact same words all over the country. Everybody's saying the same thing. And it doesn't take a detective to think, hmm, somebody probably told them to say that. It makes one question, well, how true is that and how much is it that you just heard something or you're just saying what you were told to say? And those who investigate crimes will tell you that there's evidence of collusion when witnesses all describe exactly the same thing. It means they got together and they decided what to say. As we're going to see, the disciples did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. That was a problem with them. It was not a problem with the things he had said. It is interesting to me that the Jewish leaders were paying more attention to the things that he said than his disciples, because they were the ones who said, can we please put guards there, because he said he was going to rise again, and we want to make sure that nobody comes and steals his body. There's a breathlessness to these accounts. It's crazy. How did this happen? Different eyewitnesses remembering different things. Here's how I remember it. It's funny, now that I'm 48 years old, you know, and I, I talk to my sister about things that happened in our childhood or in our teenage years, you know, and it's like, oh, there was that thing that happened. And she's like, no, it didn't happen like that, that at all. And I'm like, no, I'm certain. I'm certain it was this and this and this. And she's like, no, it wasn't. It was this and then this and then this. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't even remember that middle part. And you're, 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 you're changing everything on me. And I think John writing decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's writing his account of that morning. Secondly, I would say these accounts are not as difficult to harmonize as some have suggested. And let me just say, if you've read the different gospel accounts and you're troubled by them, I'd like to talk to you. I think there are some good explanations. For instance, we're going to see that Mary Magdalene, in just a minute, arrives at the tomb first. Mark has three women arriving at the tomb. I think the very simple explanation is that Mary is more determined to get there sooner. She arises. She comes just before dark. The other ladies are probably right behind her. She leaves to go tell Peter and John, and the other ladies arrive and encounter the angels. That is a simple explanation that makes sense about what's happening. Let me also say this. Typically, Easter sermons contain some kind of harmony, some kind of looking at all the Gospels together. If Jesus doesn't return, I'm sure we'll do that again. 
But today we're going to focus on John's account. And so first of all, we see Mary Magdalene is the first at the tomb. Verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The first day of the week is Sunday. The Jewish days don't have names. The Jewish days have numbers. There is the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, preparation day, and then the Sabbath. Saturday is called the Sabbath. The Jewish day begins at sundown. That's why uh, the Sabbath day begins at sundown the previous day, on our Friday. So Jesus was in the tomb for a portion of Friday, and then in their reckoning, the Sabbath began Friday at sundown, the second day, Sunday, the third day, began Saturday at sundown. And so Jesus, or Mary rather, is going to the tomb on the first day of the week. And the New Testament writers, I would add, highlight that this occurred on the first day, which becomes the day for the gathering of the church. We gather on Sunday to mark the resurrection every week. Every week we could say to one another, he is risen he is risen indeed. So we'll pick up with Mary Magdalene next week, and we see the sweet, sweet encounter between her and the risen Lord Jesus. Let me just remind you that Mary Magdalene is a woman who was delivered from great darkness. Mark and Luke tell us that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Her gratitude for Christ clearly knows no bounds. She was the last at the cross, and she was the first at the grave. She could not rest until she had attended to him. And so she arises while it is still dark. She goes outside the gates of the city. This was no safe journey for a woman alone in that day. Having received much, she loved much. Having loved him, she sought to serve him. She is on her way to the tomb purely out of love for her Lord. In our day, there are many who profess to love the Savior and yet do very little to serve him. Perhaps we have a low sense of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Those who are deeply conscious of their own guilt and corruption cherish the sacrifice of Christ more, and they are all the more willing to spend and be spent on his behalf. I would add, Mary's actions here this morning are clearly not so that anyone may see. It's a private act of love and devotion that she gets up before dark and goes to the tomb. God saw, and her devotion is recorded in God's word forever. And we'll learn more about Mary Magdalene next week. Secondly, we see that she runs to alert Peter and John. Verse 2, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary is alarmed when she sees that the stone has been rolled aside. I just have to make this point because I've made it so many times as we've been walking through John. I think that John, I really, really believe that John expects you to have read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John here says the stone was rolled away. Well, he hasn't mentioned the stone up until that point. So he's just picking up here on what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already said. So just to be clear, her message for Peter and John is not, hey, he's risen. Her message is, he's not there. Stone's open, uh, the tomb's open. And, and I wonder how much, you know, after watching the indignities of her, 
her Lord, how, how he has been subjected, subjected to so many indignities on that weekend. I wonder if she's not concerned that those enemies of Christ have just continued to desecrate him. They've continued to treat him badly. What have they done now, those soldiers or those priests? So Peter and John run to the tomb, verse 3 and 4. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Here's what John wants you to know. He is faster than Peter. He mentions it again in verse 8, the disciple who reached the tomb first. I'm always amused by that. Some people think that Peter was older than John. John actually outlived all of the disciples, so perhaps he was among the youngest. I'll tell you this, when you write your gospel after everybody else is dead, you can say that you won, you run, won the race to the tomb that morning. And it's most not likely not that important. It might be fun to talk to John about when we see him in heaven. But it's one more evidence that this is an eyewitness. This is a man who was there. Why does Mary Magdalene run to get Peter and John? I do think they were the leaders of the bunch, but I think given the fact that as we saw on Friday night, John had been entrusted with the care of Mary, it's possible that she went to get John because that's where Mary was, and he wanted, she wanted to tell them that something was going on. Number four, Peter and John arrive at the tomb, verses five through seven. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Real quick, Jewish burial tombs in that day were very unique. And I've mentioned this before, but it's important. A burial tomb uh, was a carved out hole in the ground, perhaps even a place where they had quarried out rock and it just needed to be repurposed for some other use. And there would be two sections to the tomb. There would be an outer section where there were ledges, almost like bunks, and there the bodies, having been wrapped in the cloths and uh, covered with the spices, would lay there. And they would lay there for about a year. And after a year, someone would come and gather just the bones, and they would place the bones back into the second part of the tomb, which might be a, a bone pit, they would just throw the bones in there, or at, in some cases they would put them into a box and store them in the back part of that tomb. So Jesus would have been wrapped in those burial clothes, covered in the spices, and laying on one of those ledges in the front part of that tomb. The Jews did not embalm. And don't forget, Joseph and, and uh, Nicodemus had hastily prepared the body, and so there was more work to be done. Mary and the other women were coming back to finish the work. So John stoops to look in, and the sun is up by now, and he can see the linen cloths lying there. Simon Peter arrives. He runs into the tomb, and he sees the cloths lying there, but also the face cloth. Some, some translations say the napkin that was over his face folded and placed separately from the other cloths. Now, I think it's very important to remember that this is not the first resurrection that has happened in the book of John. This is the first resurrection unto life, but there was another resurrection that had taken place where the man died again, and that is Lazarus. Do you remember this scene from Lazarus' resurrection? From chapter 11, 
When he had said these things, speaking of Jesus, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus came out like this. He was all tied up. Just before that, Jesus had to say to somebody, you need to go and roll that tomb away. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us anything about what happened in that tomb when Jesus rose from the dead. It was an act of recreation. The body of Jesus was dead, and then it was alive. How are our dead bodies going to be raised? Go to a graveyard, and you look. I've thought, how's that going to work? How are bodies going to come out of those graves? It'll be the same as when Jesus rose from the grave. Paul caused Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. He was the first of a great harvest of saints that are going to one day be raised. As a matter of fact, he's the only person in all of creation who presently has his glorified body, and we all look forward to that. And because he was raised, we await our resurrection. I'll just mention Matthew real quick. Matthew 28, 2 says that the angel descended and rolled the stone away. Jesus was already gone. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away. He was gone. The stone was rolled away to let Peter and John in, not to let Jesus out. Lazarus needed the stone rolled away. He needed to be unbound from the grave clothes. Jesus did not require such help. Did he just sit up? Did his body just pass out pass up through those grave clothes? Did he pause for a moment to to fold the napkin that was over his face? Later on, we'll see him walk into a room, pass into a room without doors, which, by the way, I really hope we're capable of when we get our resurrection bodies. I think that's going to be a fun joke. Oh, here I am. I just walked into a room. Look, I'm out of the room again. It's going to be great. Why did Jesus take time to fold that napkin. I don't know, but we can ask him one day. And the main point is he's not there. Also, it's worth noting this is not the work of grave robbers. No grave robber is going to stop and take the time to unwrap a body that's moist from all of the ointments and the spices before taking it from the tomb. Number five, John doesn't see and he believes. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John hesitates for a moment. We are not told why, but he soon follows Peter into the tomb, and he saw, and he, is, and he believes. Jesus isn't there, and he believes. And by the way, John is not saying, and for the first time I believed that Jesus was the Christ. That is not what he's saying. I believe that John is saying at that moment... I believed that he had risen from the dead. John was the first person to believe that our Lord had risen from the dead. Let me say it again because it's so important. Don't think that these people were superstitious. Don't think that these people thought people raised from the dead all the time. They were just like we would be today. They were highly skeptical. Jesus made some remarkable claims. He had said, after three days, I will rise again, and none of them believed him. John, when seeing the empty tomb, believes. There's a statement here that's a little bit difficult to interpret. It says, as they had not yet understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead, what scripture is he referring to? 
One noteworthy thing about John's telling is, if you'll remember, even from Friday night, in the crucifixion account, John was so detailed in his prophecies and their fulfillment. The, 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 um, the soldiers gambling for his clothes, uh, the, the, the bit of, of um, sour wine being put to his lips, none of his bones were broken. All of these seemingly insignificant things, and every single time, John says, and that was prophesied, and that was prophesied, and that was prophesied. What's missing from John's account is that there is no as it was written. Again, nobody was expecting the resurrection. And so I think what John is saying here is he's speaking generally about the scriptures, the old and the new to that point, all types of references, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac, believing that God could raise him from the dead, Jonah's three days in the belly of the fish, all the imagery that comes from the sacrificial system and the scapegoat and all of that. And the point of it is simply this, up to that moment, he had not believed, and now that he believes, it changes everything because Christ's resurrection changes everything. So Mary Magdalene will have an encounter with the risen Lord in the next passage. And Peter will get his time with the Lord Jesus. And Jesus will appear to all the disciples, absent Thomas, a little ways down this passage. John will be there. And then Jesus appears to Thomas. And Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29, after he believes, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Just to return to it, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's you. That's me. We are those who have not seen him and have believed. Like John, we heard his words and we believed. Peter and John, then, number six, returned to their homes. Short verse to close the passage, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This verse feels a little anticlimactic, but when you think about it, it makes sense. First of all, he's not there. John doesn't wrap up Peter's story here. We'll get to that in chapter 21. I would say that John leaves believing, and there's good reason to believe that Peter is still struggling. So they go to their homes. They go to where they are staying. And I would also add that it's probably a desire to tell others. I mean, just, just very frankly, they didn't have a cell phone to say, hey, Andrew, you've got to get down here. You won't believe this. They have to go, and they have to tell the others. Let me draw this to a conclusion this morning. I love this passage. Praise God. Praise God for this passage. Praise God that the tomb is empty. Praise God that Jesus was alive. And I, and I would just say this, an empty tomb alone, tomb alone does not prove that Jesus is alive. I understand that, but we have way more evidence than just that, that Jesus is alive. Tony read 1 Corinthians 15 to open our service. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. It's quite a lot of people who saw Jesus alive. And Paul says, it's again, very eyewitnessy. Hey, there are still people alive who saw him. You could go and talk to him if you wanted to. 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive. Secondly, but for John... The empty tomb plus Jesus' words was enough. Again, verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. You know, a lot of people come to faith in different ways, and I'm sure if we went around this morning and we asked, how did all of us come to faith? Some of us came easily. I don't remember not believing. Some of us came, as it were, kicking and screaming. 
Perhaps some of you are still kicking and screaming at the thought of belief. Some of you remember believing for the first time. Sometimes I have to confess, I do say, thank you, Lord. I can't believe that I believe. I'm so thankful that I believe. Faith is a gift. I'm so thankful that I believe. I know some of you are trying to sort things out. This is John's testimony, and we know why he is writing it down, because he tells us down at the end of chapter 20, he says, these things are written so that you may believe that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Finally, the empty tomb proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. If you were going to take a test and you had to prove the resurrection, you had to talk about the resurrection, I would encourage you to memorize Romans 1.4 and was declared, speaking of Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus our Lord. The resurrection was God's seal of approval. It was God's declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It validates all of his claims about himself. It validates the scripture. To put it negatively, apart from Christ's bodily resurrection, we have no Savior, no salvation, and no eternal life. As the Apostle Paul said, our faith would be useless and the life-giving power of the gospel would be altogether eliminated. I'm going to close where I began. John saw the empty tomb, and that was enough. Peter and Mary and Thomas, they got to see the risen Lord, and they believed. But we are among those who, as Peter said, though we have not seen them, we love him. Though you do not know him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why do we rejoice? Because he gives salvation for souls. Do you know that joy this morning? Peace with God, no fear in death, purpose in this life, and promise for the next. I'm going to close by reading 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It's a passage that we normally read at funerals, but it is entirely appropriate that we read it at Easter. Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with... He is risen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, our King... You are seated at the right hand of the Father right now, bodily seated with a glorified body, with a heart that beats on the inside. You are our King, and you are alive, and we worship you this morning. And we thank you that your love for us led you to come and die on that cross and trust that God the Father would raise you from the dead, that it would be clear that you are who you claim to be. Father, would you give us the grace in this room right now to live in light of that reality. No fear in death. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the day when 
our bodies also will either rise up out of that tomb or will be transformed and meet you in the air. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Finish the work that you are doing in this world and in this church and in us. We will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.